and my thirties trying to figure it all out. 30s. My life got twisted when Corona came in town. Huh? Now it got me right back on my parents' house. Damn. I'm sitting here trying to figure this shit out. Hey. When I hit thirty, thought I wouldn't be sad. This one's for us. Tune in, Tune in. Join, me. join me now, and listen with a friend. Cause I'm here to tell you that it's gonna be okay. You can make it you your make way. It. Never give up. Never, Never give in. Never. We're gonna do it until we're ten years older, looking back and say, Why did I even worry about worry about thirty-ish, thirty-ish? A podcast just for you, about adults trying to figure their issues. So. Thirty-ish, a podcast for adults figuring their ish out. We're back at it again with another episode of Thirty-ish. Thank you all for listening to the last episode. I hope I didn't bore you all. Um, just with having me on there, my sister livened it up just a little bit more for the people. But I'm so happy that you guys are sticking with me and staying with me. In this episode, like I said on the last one, we're going to be talking about mental health in the black community. So I have my very good friend, my line sister, Elizabeth Armstrong on, who is a therapist. So she's giving us all the tea, all the scoop, and hopefully you leave this podcast learning more and just um just accepting a new walk in life to your healing so i hope that you all like this episode enjoy another episode of 30-ish. I am your host, Sasha Malakot, and like I told you all last week, I wanted to focus this episode on mental health, mental awareness, so I had to tap into my resources, and that included me talking to one of my line sisters, Elizabeth Armstrong, who is a uh, temporary licensed marriage and family therapist and she has her master's in marriage and family therapy and she's going to be talking to us about mental health in the black community hey liz hello hey sasha hey sis how you doing girl (laughs) i am good well how are you I am doing well. I'm excited to talk to you about mental health and therapy just because I personally don't do it, but I'm looking into it. So as I'm doing the show, I'm like, this is a great way for me to gain knowledge on how I should go about seeking counseling. Yes. First of all, I'm excited to be here. I'm so proud of you for doing this and being consistent. So kudos to my sis. Y'all make sure y'all keep listening. Keep tuning in to the Sasha Malakot 30-ish podcast. Okay. 
Yes. So I, I always start off with letting people introduce themselves and exactly what they do. Um, so I'll do the same with you, Liz. Okay. So I am Elizabeth Armstrong. I have my Master's of Marriage and Family Therapy, and I also have my temporary or I am rather a temporary licensed marriage and family therapist. Those of you all who are in the counseling field, you know it takes us some time, some time to get to that license point. So I'm under supervision and, you know, getting my hours and my client contact hours. Once I get so many, then I'll be official. Your girl will be official. Um, I currently work as a therapist at the Tennessee State University Counseling Center. So that's who I see. And I also have private practice on the side. Um, so couples, things like that, check me out. My social media is in the works, but it is Thought Traces LLC. Don't worry. I'm sure when the time comes, Sasha will put the plug out there for I me. definitely And make will. sure you all are aware. So the page is out there on IG right now. There is no picture and there's no information yet. <laughs> but know that it is in the works and it is there. So, yes. That's so That's exciting. That's mm-hmm. so exciting. I'm happy to, like, witness your journey and, like, the growth of it. And I can't wait so I can go on there whenever I get um somebody to marry me. Um <laughs> <laughs> therapy, now listen, you know, it's therapy is for the individual as well as for the couple, the group. You know, we all have stuff. So. Yes. My first question that I have for you, Liz, is how did you become um or why did you want to go into the field of being a marriage and family therapist? Oh, okay. So this this isn't a long story, but I actually enjoy it. So my sophomore year of high school, I went to visit my big sister in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was going to Tulsa University. And I was sitting in her abnormal psychology class with her for my spring break. And I was so intrigued by that class. I mean, I can't even explain it, but I was so in tune. I thought the information, just everything just spoke to me. So that literally was the moment I said, you know what, I'm going to study psychology. So I went on to school, went to TSU for undergrad. Um, I did a double major in psychology and I initially, well, in psychology and business administration marketing. Mm -hmm. And I initially thought I wanted to do or rather wanted to be an industrial organizational psychologist. Now, of course, I went that route in my mind because I was told they make the most money. Mm -hmm. So I was money chasing. (laughs) To be in that field and once I really understood what it was because number one I just always encourage people when there's a field or something you think you're interested in it is so important to find people who are actually doing it and that way you're getting more of a hands-on approach to it versus a textbook or the google version of what that actual uh, position is so anywho I was like you know what nah that's not for me so after I graduated Trevecca um, I looked into Lipscomb and Trebek, and they had a master's in marriage and family therapy program. And I felt so in place. Like, I felt like this is my call. And I prayed on it, um, and I got accepted. And I said, this is what I was supposed to do. And once I got in it, I loved it. I mean, I just absolutely loved it. Um, I feel I, I am a very family-oriented person. Mm-hmm. And it just it just fit. And, you know, how, how we do at times, we always say, oh, well, I'm trying to fix figure out my family or figure out our dysfunction. And so that's what draws us to it. So of course, you know, that's always intertwined in that. Um, But that's exactly what it was for me. So that's the path I chose. And I've been happy, extremely happy about it. That's great. I was wondering, um, what exactly does that entail? So if I was seeking to go to 
uh, marriage and family therapy. What exactly is that? So the one way I like to distinguish between marriage and family therapy versus, let's just say, counseling, because um, a lot of people may major in counseling, psychology, things of that nature. Marriage and family therapy focuses on a systems approach. So mm-hmm. we look at the overall system. We try to have uh, sessions that involve around the betterment, literally, of the overall system. So if I'm dealing with couples, I'm trying to look, we're looking at goals and things that fit the couple as well uh, for them. And okay. one thing about it, though, even when you're doing family therapy, or whether it's couples therapy, I mean, I still, psychology still has some of the same generalized foundations from cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, some of those things, though, they transcend across any field of, of psychology. Um, so we still have that foundation. So I still can count, consult and counsel people one-on-one. I just have a preference and I would love to, I like to do couples and families. Um, so that's just pretty much, but it's, it's from a systems approach. It's just approaching it from a standpoint of what's best for the overall group. Um, I'm also a Prepare Enrich certified facilitator. Um, Prepare Enrich, uh, the Prepare part is basically for premarital counseling, and the Enrich part um, is for couples who are already married. I was going to ask you if you did that. Okay. Yeah, so Prepare Enrich is, um, I got certified in that when I was in grad school, um, and it literally, I encourage anybody that's going to couples therapy or that thinks about it, um, to go see about it and find someone who actually does it because it literally gives you a breakdown of everything you could think of as it relates to you and uh, the person you're with, you and your partner. You answer a series of questions on your own separately from um, your partner. And then this basically it simulates all this data and information. I mean, it is really, really an extraordinary tool. I mean, it really makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> very interesting. Issues. Like, yes, it is. Getting it into is. like the mind and figuring out how people maneuver and like their definition of what family is. I'm sure I was watching um Black Love and just yes. looking at <laughs> that show. I'm like, wow, you really do have two people coming together. So you're already coming in with your own ideals and your own perception of what you think a family and a marriage is and then you meet mm-hmm. somebody else that has their own and you're trying to combine the two and you realize, you know, some things may work, other things don't work and just how to maneuver between between the two of you to make it one experience. Yes, and that can be extremely, extremely difficult because you're two different people. You have two different family of origins. So you come from two different places. You also... One of you all may have experienced some trauma that the other person didn't, or the other person may have abandonment issues, or someone may have isolation, or you have any other type of predetermined um, conditions that you may not even be aware of. Mm. And so you have to think, so you're bringing both of those things in all together and expecting it to work. I mean, it's like a recipe. I put in one season, somebody puts in something else, and we just hope that it may, it's the, the ending <laughs> ingredient is good. But, you know, sometimes you got to dab a little more of this, or maybe you should have put less of that. So, I mean, that's what it is. But one thing I can say is that as it relates to therapy in any capacity, if it's some type of couples therapy or family therapy, you have to have two people that want therapy. Mm, it does okay. not usually work when both people are not willingly wanting to participate. Because, see, I've worked with some youth, and some of those youth were there because they were mandated to be there. And that is just a different type of, <laughs> that is a different type of experience 
with someone who really doesn't want to be there and is being forced to be there right versus people who actually want to be there so it definitely makes a difference i like that analogy that you use with the recipes because when you when you break it down in simple terms like that it's easy to get on board with yeah and i like food yeah okay and i like to cook (laughs) so you got to do what works what's the biggest misconception um you feel about counseling and therapy that people may have that's a that's a good one um i'm gonna actually say two things uh one is and i know we're speaking to a an audience of different people so the first thing i'm going to say is the lack of cultural competence competency Mm -hmm. there is a strong lack of cultural competency amongst even within the same race it's a lack of cultural competency um Every black person is not the same. Every Spanish, Latina person is not the same. Every Caucasian person is not the same. However, people tend to make several assumptions about an individual because of their race, or they live on this side of town, they assume this, Mm -hmm. or they're from that side, they assume that. It's a lot of assumptions. And those assumptions, honestly, is what get people, have people being culturally ignorant. And when you're culturally ignorant, you really don't know but some people don't want to know. So I think that's when it kind of transcends to cultural stupidity. But, you know, we're not going to talk about that today. It's <laughs> a whole nother topic. But, yes, the lack of cultural competency. Um, and I saw that a lot with one of my previous places of employment when I saw a lot of our children, especially young black kids, um, being counseled by other people who didn't understand the culture mm-hmm. and the effects that that can have. So I I really want to throw that out there really quick with people, those who are considering counseling, like, Make make sure that you find someone that's a good fit for you. That is major because nobody wants to talk to somebody they're not comfortable talking to or that they feel is judging them or looking at them or any of those things. So it is very extremely important to find somebody that you feel is a good fit for you. And it's okay if it takes more than one time. I mean, think about when you go to your doctor, especially ladies, you go to the OBGYN thing, you don't just want anybody in your business. Mm You want that person that's right. So I would say lack of cultural competency. And the other thing I would say is the notion that God will fix everything. And people say go to God instead of go to counseling. Um, We see that a lot also in our culture. They say, well, I don't need a therapist. I don't need somebody in my business. I don't need somebody. They don't know me. There's nothing they can tell me. All of these things. They just tell you, well, I just pray God's going to fix it. I Now, I don't have a problem talking about my religion and what I believe because I believe in God. Everyone mm-hmm. else may not have those same beliefs, and that doesn't affect my ability to counsel anyone either. But some people, it's like I look at it from my standpoint of God also placed people here on this earth to help us. And if someone can help you, then I believe people should allow themselves to be helped. So that is um, another one. And since I said that, Sasha, it's just one more thing that I just thought about is that the idea that I go to therapy to get fixed. Mm. We are not trying to fix people. We don't want to fix anybody. We're all, if if you want to look at it that way, we're all broken. Mm -hmm. You know, you could put tape on something, you could glue something together, but it's still never going to be exactly the way it was once certain things. So those things in life that allow us to be uh, changed in ways or modified in ways the things that groom us to be who we are as therapists we don't want to we don't want to fix you 
All our job to do, and we're not here to give you advice either. Our job is to give you the tools that you need to be able to use them in the times in which you need them to be able to function and go forth in life with as least amount of setbacks as possible. So that is our goal. It's just to hand you tools. I had somebody tell me, well, you're not married. At the time, I wasn't. They said, you're not married. There's nothing you can tell me. I'm not here to talk to you based on my personal experience. Right. I'm here to, to, to let my intellect and the things in which I've learned give them to you so that you have the coping skills, whether that's with your anger management or your depression, your anxiety, your lack of communication. All of these are just tools. It's up to you to use them. It's up to the client to use them. So I would say those are the three biggest things. And I'm so happy that you touched on all three because upon my research, I was like, okay, I want to research. So I won't come in with any type of questions that you, you know, is always talked about basically. And when Mm -hmm. I was researching, it just kept talking about stigmas, stigmas, stigmas. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, I get it. I know there's a lot of stigmas within the black community, but let's move past that because now black people specifically are really seeking therapy they're seeking counseling they're seeking that type of help to help themselves and i don't necessarily i'm not going to say that it's not a stigma anymore because of course there is still you know we we can be a lot further than where we are now but the fact that we're talking about it more i'm like i i I just want to push away from stigmas about it because i'm just like we are doing the work that our parents maybe necessarily didn't have the know-how to or they didn't have the support to do it. And now we are the generation that's doing it. So the generation after us doesn't have to feel any type of way about doing it. Like it's second nature. Mm-hmm. And it, it is the generations that it's like the parent age generation and their parents uh, generation who frown upon therapy or depending on where you come from. Like even when I've seen in other countries, even even looking at Ghana and even some other African countries, how the way mental health is looked at culturally is completely different than it's looked at here in America. Mm. You think of someone that has a mental disorder, in some cases, they can be chastised, they can be put out. There are even instances culturally where they are uh, made naked with a sign and things, depending on where you're from. It can be frowned upon. Wow. Versus here in, in America, some people still frown upon it, but you're, we're noticing a, a shift change. There's right. a culture shift happening. Millennials and younger are more easily, uh, they don't have as many uh, doubts or hesitance to go to therapy versus the older generations, not all of them, of course, but generally speaking, they tend not. And there's research and statistics out there that even shows mm-hmm. that, that the older generations because you see more of them talking about, um, you know, I go to God. You, you hear more about the, more yes. of them talking about that than you hear the younger ones. Because even, honestly, with spirituality and religiosity, we see a shift change as well with younger people and people's beliefs in various things. But, I mean, of course, that's another segment. But, you you know, that, that just tells you how some people are becoming more open with being able to express themselves. And everybody wants... Who doesn't want a space to be in where they don't feel like they're going to be judged? Right. Whether people are going to mm-hmm. be biased towards them. You're going with a clean slate. There may be secrets that people don't even want their closest of friends to know, but they can tell their therapist because they know they're locked into confidentiality about it. Exactly. And I was going to say, um, I didn't know that, 
I knew that pe- I knew that there were therapists and there were counselors and stuff like that, but I didn't know that you can go to someone specifically for for trauma. So I I just automatically assume that every therapist covered everything. So I wouldn't necessarily think that okay, maybe I should go see someone who specializes in trauma, or maybe I should go see a life coach, or maybe I should go see you know a um, a psychologist psychologist for something else like I didn't think that they were separate people (laughs) I just thought I was like okay I'm just gonna go in and I'm just gonna let it all out and my friend was like no that's not really how it works I mean it can work like that but if you really want to focus on something you should go to somebody who specializes yes in that because I I can tell you (laughs) so I'm also I've also completed the EMDR basic training and what is that EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it is. It was more so designed for trauma, mm. um, and it has, I guess you would call, it resourcing where there are a number of activities a person can do in between. Um, it's 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 like a whole script <laughs> of the way in which it works, and it was an extensive training, and there's still further training. I've only completed the basic training, so I can't say that I'm certified in it. Even though for me, the basic training was a lot. Okay. It was a lot and it can be a very costly training, but it, things like that, it's like, you can't just, you have to man your craft. You know, you have to, if this is something you want to do, or if this is, you know, a population of people you want to work with, you have to continuously enhance yourself. It's just like if you're in sports or a basketball player or someone, you have to practice. You have to practice the kinesthetics as it relates to it. You have to practice the, you know, eye and hand movement coordination and things like that. So you still have to hone in on your craft because number one, research is always happening. It's always happening. I mean, psychology is a research field. We only have it (laughs) because of research. (laughs) That's the only way we can come up with these things to help people. So, yes, EMDR is one of those. Um, you have emotion-focused therapy, EFT. You have SFBT, solution-focused brief therapy. There are so many different therapies out there. And even for licensure to even pass the test, we have to know an extensive, li- an extensive list of all of the modality of therapies, their interventions, and the best practice in which you should use them. So imagine taking a licensure test. That's multiple choice and three of the options are correct, (laughs) but they only want the one that is the best one. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So, you know, it's, it's just like, that's just like new medicine. I mean, any of those things, it, it all is surrounding that. Yeah. I never knew that when she said that I was like, duh, like, why didn't I, why didn't I automatically assume that? You know what I mean? Like, why was that just the first thing I thought about? Like, oh, they take care of everything. Like, no. I mean, because you I go mean, to the doctor. Yeah. You know, when you're growing up, your doctor, you have a problem, no matter what it is, you're going to tell your doctor. You mm-hmm. just expect them to be able to fix it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the same thing. And it's very common, Sasha. I mean, many people, a lot of people don't know. I didn't learn until, like I said, into my adulthood. And I really started trying to figure out where in psychology I wanted to be, like on my road to learning about MFT, measure mm-hmm. family therapy. I had to, to to learn those things too. I mean, and it's it's an ongoing process. Even therapists need therapists, okay? <laughs> and I was literally so that's I'm so happy because normally I'm like that's a perfect segue, but you're literally like talking into my next questions that I have. Um, how do you continue to support your clients and encourage them when you start to lose faith from time to time? Woo. So listen, 
you have to dig deep. One of the main things is self-care. And I know that it's something people have probably been hearing this whole time during this COVID-19 pandemic is self-care, self-care, self-care. And so one of the things they try to teach us or rather they tell us is that you can't you can't gas someone up from an empty fuel tank. Mm -hmm. So if I'm already empty, myself is empty, I have nothing in me to give you. I don't have the energy to give the tools, but they don't want us to take your work home. It sounds easy, right? Right. Imagine yeah. <laughs> somebody loading on you. You see 15 clients in a day or whatever, and they load on you. And they're like, oh, but don't take that home. Okay. Houseway. How? <laughs> like, like how, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, seriously. But uh, again, you have to find what works for you. We talk a lot about meditation and mindfulness activities. Now, I will be the first to tell y'all, trust me, I was not the mindfulness type. I was sitting there doing different trainings and I'm saying, y'all, is this really working for you all? And I'm looking around I'm like, are they really centered? <laughs> are they really doing these breathing and things of that nature? But I realized it really is more so about just being in tune. So I have to find what works for me. I have to level myself. I have to make sure I set aside some me time mm -hmm. to process for things for myself and to just ensure that I'm at my best because it's part of my duty. That's my ethical duty. I have, I have a moral obligation. And even just for me as a who I am, I'm not here just to, oh, well, let me give you, let me have do this. And then I just, you can just come back next week and I, I can do a little bit better. Or maybe I have more energy. No, that would be unethical to do that. So I just have to find my place, find my center, find the things that keep me grounded. And sometimes, or I'm not going to say sometimes, a lot of times it can be very hard. But I have to remember the bigger picture and the goal that I'm trying to achieve. And ultimately, that is to help my client be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. That's great. I was, I'm like, if I was a therapist or something, I just don't know. Because it's <laughs> that's a lot of weight, especially hearing everyone's things. <laughs> and like just yeah. carrying that on and then you going through your own stuff too. And it's just like, ugh. I will never forget. I think the hardest thing for me, Sasha, was when I traveled to Africa and we were doing, we were working with a particular organization for a number of kids. Some of them had been rescued. A majority of them had been rescued off of uh, the river. Cause honestly, in Africa, I don't know if people realize it. There are parts of slavery that do still exist. Mm. You know, it may not be whipping chain, but they're still children being sold by their families for money, you know, and a number of things. So if it's something that people care to actually look into, I mean, look into it. But one of the hardest things for me was literally listen to them, some of their stories. Can you imagine being five, six, seven, eight years old and you haven't seen your parents in years or you don't know how your family's doing? If you have siblings, you don't know how they're doing. And just hearing about some of them even just maybe not even remembering what their mother looked like or their father looked like. I mean, that experience was one of the most humbling experiences I have ever had to this day. It really makes you look on life. So if anybody ever gets a chance to really travel, and I mean travel for culture, not travel for leisure. Right. But if you ever get a chance to truly travel and get to be a part of culture in the places in which you travel, I mean, it can be a definitely a humbling experience, truly. It took me some some debriefing for sure. We had to debrief every day from the information that we were receiving and some of the counseling that we were doing. 
Listen, that just gave me okay. chills. Just you talking Ooh. about that because I could ooh, only imagine. Yeah. Only imagine. Um, I, I wanted to know amidst. Okay, so we're in a pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. People are in the house with their spouses. People are in the house with their family for <laughs> way more time than they've probably ever been, right? Okay. So, at what point do you feel like people should start seeking seeking some type of therapy? So, like, at what point were you... I, I'm trying to figure out how to word this. I, I get... And where's everybody? Where's your breaking point? Yes, your, exactly. Like, is it something yeah. where, oh, I don't like this that they're doing, but it's not that big of a deal for me to actually, you know, seek some advice on it or... Is it just yeah. like, I, I can't take it at all, and now I have to do something about it? So, I'll, I'll generally say this first, is that there's no one shoe fits all, mm. as it relates to that point. Everybody's tolerant, just like, you know, <laughs> I was going to say alcohol, but just like with anything, <laughs> you know, everybody's tolerant. This is, is different. different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's the same as it relates to certain things. So So, to answer your question, if at any point an individual's daily task and daily functioning is starting to be affected to where maybe you are you were always an organized person and now all of a sudden you seem to be disorganized all the time or you're always a cheerful person and now all of a sudden your mood seems to be more lagging or or people around you are starting to notice changes about you or even in your own thoughts maybe you're used to being social and even in this environment you can still find ways to be social even if, if it's zoom and all kind of things but you find yourself being in your room, not communicating, not talking, not connecting with people. So at any point, your daily functioning, you're starting to see a shift or a change or other people are noticing it, then it's definitely worth looking into because some people may not even realize it. Sometimes people are doing things and they're not aware until someone else points it out to them, which is why I am a strong believer and a strong encourager of your friends and the people you say you care about and you're close to, your besties, all of that. If you're starting to see changes and shifts in them, you should let them know. Don't just talk about it with other friends behind their back. Like have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And it's always the way you approach it because a person can definitely become defensive if you start off the wrong way. Right. <laughs> this is true. Because <laughs> so, if you start with like, I noticed this and this about you and you could have done this. So I don't understand why you didn't do that or you should have done any of those things. Those are make anybody all of a sudden become defensive. Versus like, hey, I noticed this and this and this were happening. Are you okay? Or, you know, um, another point could be, well, you said this to me. Well, I felt this way after you said that to me. And I wasn't sure what that was about. Like, can we talk about it? Can we have a conversation about it? Um, Just any of those ways. It's it's just all about approach. Because you don't want them to get defensive. Because the ultimate goal is to what? Help the person that's in need. Mm -hmm. So... The goal is to what can I do to help them that won't push them away or push them further to where now they go into a bubble or under a rock somewhere and now nobody can connect with them. Those are great answers because I was just like, just just thinking about it when they, when we first had to be locked down, when everybody thought it was still kind of a joke, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, it's only going to be a couple of months and then it's going to be regular again. And then you started to hear about the stories of you know domestic situations and like Mm -hmm. people who who really do not have a great living situation 
and how yeah. this was affecting them. And I'm like, wow, just because I don't I don't have that. So, you know, sometimes you could just be ignorant to the outside world sometimes when mm-hmm. when your space is fine. Yeah, I mean, even think about October. October is what Domestic Violence mm-hmm. Violence Awareness Month, just like Breast Cancer Awareness and some others. And imagine being at home and you're getting battered every day. You have women and men, because I'm not going to say that domestic violence only happens to women. It happens to men, too. So you have these people who are in these environments. You have kids who are getting abused every day. And they're, now that a lot of them are not in school or they may have virtual learning, no one's there to see them and, and touch them every day, like to connect with them in that in that manner. So it definitely can make, make a heavy heart. Um, I can tell you from even just me, I was a person who anxiety was not something I, I thought I ever had. And during this pandemic, I have seen anxiety, my anxiety skyrocket. Of course, I had to go talk to somebody. I had to find out what is going on. Mm-hmm. Of course, the good thing about it, because I am a therapist, I have a, a pretty high keen sense of awareness about what's going on with me and my anxiety. But just because I know what's going on doesn't always mean I'm able to help myself. Nobody wants to play therapist to themselves. Right. Or if they want to play therapist to their children or even their spouse. Because me and my husband have both been at home during this pandemic. You know, we're all working from home. Mm-hmm. And it is... I mean, it it can be tough. Like, we don't stay in a big house, so I can only imagine somebody who stayed in a really, really small space. It could be a lot. <laughs> Everybody's tired of everybody. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, and then trying to keep an eight-year-old occupied who's bored all the time, tired of staring at the screen for school. Yes, it definitely, you definitely have to find things that work for you, but you have to be able to have a long time. You just have to. It's definitely necessary. Me being back at home, I have noticed that I'm like, oh, I have no space. It's driving me <laughs> crazy. And like you said, my anxiety has just really skyrocketed. Like, I have my first um, anxiety attack living in New York. And I didn't know what was happening to me. I had no idea what was. It was on a train. And it, it was like a panic attack. And then... It remained throughout the day. Like, I had a panic attack from being on the train, I guess because it was just so many people and me being, like, claustrophobic and stuff. Like, I just felt like I couldn't breathe. Everything was getting small. But throughout that day, I was just still so unsettled. And my mind was racing, and I didn't feel like I had a grasp on reality. I was just like, no. I don't know. It was just a weird thing. And I was like, well, what? What is this? So then I started to look it up and I was like, well, okay, maybe that was an anxiety attack. Maybe I am, you know, going through. But, and then I'm like, okay, let me look up um, therapists, right? I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, let me look up. And for me, it was just so daunting. And I don't know if anyone else has um, had that experience where you're trying to look for look for a specific type of person (laughs) that you would like to speak with and you can't find it. And I find that for me, it was hard to find like African-American women. Mm -hmm. And just like, I know it should be like interview process. Like (laughs) I should be able to come in and, you know, just to see, because just because you, like you said, you look like me, we don't have the same cultural experiences. We don't have the same type of upbringing. Like a lot of things take into place. So when you actually are choosing somebody to, you know, to counsel you and to seek therapy with, it does have to be somebody that you can mesh with that 
will push you. I I need somebody that will push me. Yeah. And I would I would say this too, Sasha, is that well, first off, you're not going to know the therapist's background, their personal information. You're right. not gonna yeah. find out about their family of origin. <laughs> you're not gonna <laughs> find out I mean, you can ask them, Are you married? Do you have kids? Have you been divorced? You can ask them these personal things, but most of them are not gonna respond because Sometimes they can be seen as a means of deflection from the client. Mm. And it's like, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing. Um, but I wanted to double back real quick, Sasha, just for you and the people who are listening, is that there is a difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack. They are not the same. Okay. A lot of people use them interchangeably. Yeah. A panic attack more so occurs without a trigger, whereas anxiety usually occurs within a response to a perceived stress or a threat so you know anxiety is like the fear of right yeah so you tend to have more of an anxiety attack based on the fear that something will happen versus a panic attack is just happening because something may have just triggered it that you hadn't been thinking about mm. so there there is a there is a difference between the two a lot of times you know they're interchanged people interchange right interchange yeah words but they're not the they're not the same because i mean a panic attack could be a sense of detachment or even just unreality Versus, you know, anxiety could just be like, oh, I was already thinking this was a perceived threat or whatnot. And now, you know, the anxiety is building up. I'm happy you said that because I definitely interchanged that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people do. Because, I mean, we think of anxiety, we just think of it as panic. I mean, yeah. they are very similar. And you hear them interchange so much, nobody would know that they are different unless, you know, somebody had to point it out to me some years back. So trust me. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised that a lot of people don't know. What would you say for somebody that's looking into finding a therapist? Um, what are some, what are some core things that each person should go into it when you are looking for someone to serve you? Um, I would first say, look into, um, wherever you find them. If, if it's not from word of mouth from somebody, see if they have a website, um, or if they have a social media page and see what they specialize in. Because even though, like I said earlier, some people, you know, maybe generalized therapists, a lot of people have something that they really want to focus more in on than something else. So find out what this person may have a preference of or what they cater to, or even look at their um, information. They may list articles or research or anything they've done, see where they've la- uh, laid their focus to. So that's number one, you know, seek them out. Try to find out information about them. Word of mouth can be good. I mean, it can be great, honestly. But you also have to think sometimes people aren't telling you like, oh, well, they helped me. Well, the way they helped you may not be the way they could help me. Right. So that, uh, number two, I would say don't judge the book by its cover. Um, But if you think that you will feel more comfortable with someone of your own race or your own gender, then it's okay to say that. And it's okay to seek out that type of person. Like, So number two technically is like know your own level of comfortability when seeking out a therapist. Um, because if you're a female or a male who may have had sexual assault by a certain gender or something, you may not feel comfortable talking to that same gender in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing I would say is once you actually find someone, know that you have a right to say, oh, I don't, I'm not sensing this energy or I don't feel comfortable or I'm not feeling this person, that's okay. You have that right. And you should never feel ashamed about 
feeling uncomfortable or just feeling like that's not the right person. Now, of course, if you go through a series of therapists over time, then you might need to reevaluate yourself because <laughs> maybe it's not the therapist. It's you. Right. You Tony Childs or something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So maybe it's you. Um, and I would say maybe the, the last thing is, um, and I just had it in my thoughts as I was speaking about that. Um, I would say is, I hate when I lose my train of thought. Um, once you get the person, oh, communication. Mm -hmm. If you've reached out to this person already a number of times and they've been delayed in their response, like professionalism is everything. So if you've communicated to them and they're taking forever to respond or you've called and left several messages and they still haven't responded or you notice things, take those things at face value. Because the way I look at it, if you don't have a certain level of professionalism with me beforehand, then you're not going to have it while I'm actually your client. So those would be the best things that that I would say. So I guess if I was to recap, um, I forgot what number one was. <laughs> but I remember. Your number one was... Um... I was literally just saying them all to myself. <laughs> it's okay. Because when I listen to it again, I'm going to recap it in like the description. Yeah, but I remember the rest. So just, oh, do the research on the person. Yes, research. Yes, website. Do the research on the person. Yes, social media, websites, whatever. Even word of mouth. Look at reviews, depending mm -hmm. on how they're uh, being marketed. So yeah, that's number one. Number two. Find someone that, that fits the gender you may want if you have a gender preference. Um, so if you have trauma or various things and you know that you may not feel comfortable talking to uh, the same gender or different gender, be okay with that and know that um, even as it relates to race, um, also that's the same as well. You want somebody that you feel you identify with, then do that. Also making sure you know the person. Um, if you get there and their energy is just not great or you're not feeling it, know that it's okay. Don't have any shame in that. And then again, the communication. Just making sure the person has a certain level of professionalism. Um, and if they don't have it, find somebody else. Those are great. I think that that's a perfect, like you said, how you start. Because it is kind of overwhelming, especially when you don't know much and you're researching. And sometimes if you research it all into like a broad spectrum, at least for me, it becomes overwhelming. So the fact that you said like, kind of like researching to know what, what it is you're seeking to, to, um, to help yourself accomplish. with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Accomplish. Yeah. Starting yeah. off with that could be a lot, a lot more helpful than just being like, Oh, I need to go talk to somebody. Well, what, what do you need to talk to that person about? Like, yeah. and maybe, maybe yeah. you don't know, maybe it comes out when you do mm -hmm. speak. So yes. I was, I, you took the words out of my mouth. I was just about to say that it's also okay. If you don't know what your issue is, you have an idea that something's not right and you just don't know what it is. It's okay to say that because most of the time people come in with a presenting issue. Um, and a lot of, I'm not gonna say a lot of times, but at times that's not even a real issue. Mm. Like you, a person may come in saying, um, so yeah, like my issue is, you know, my boyfriend is is this, so he just he's not showing me affection. Whoop whoop, whatever the case is, uh, he's not showing me affection. I voice it to him, he doesn't listen. But what they're really they're underlying or their negative cognition is more so as he's telling me that I'm not enough because I felt this way when I was a kid and my father didn't give me this attention and it made me. I remember how that made me feel and what he's doing is making me feel that. But sometimes you clients can't connect the dots. That's that's the therapist's job to do. You just have to be there, be present, and give the information. So, 
Yeah, and be honest. Try, don't lie to your therapist, people. Please don't lie. I was going to say, how <laughs> how often times do people, like, manipulate the situation to where uh, it's like they, they already go in knowing what they're going to say if something is asked and... I, based on my experience, mm-hmm. I don't get it a lot. I tend to see it more in couples and I tend to see it more in young adults, like college age students mm-hmm. sometimes, only because they feel like they're they're scared if I say this or if I lie about this, then I'll get in trouble. But again, it goes back to that level of confidentiality and having a dual role with working at a university as I do. We have to reiterate that multiple times to my clients. Like, I know I work at the university, but I'm deemed by confidentiality. This is a completely separate record. So it tends to happen. And I mean, it can be, listen, couples can be raw. (laughs) They can be very raw. And then sometimes, you know, they can be very, uh, you can see a lot of verbal abuse. Sometimes you can see emotional abuse or I'm not going to lie, Sasha. One of the things as it related to one, I remember in grad school, I'll never forget this couple. They were getting married, right? Mm-hmm. So I was technically doing premarital counseling. And I just could not believe that although they felt they were in love and they were pushing forward, they had never even discussed the fact that the, hus- the future husband didn't want her to work. He wanted her to raise kids versus she only wanted one kid and he wanted multiple kids or how they were raised their children. Like so many factors didn't even get discussed. And I still, I think I, I don't think it's ever going to get old for me how surprised I am mm-hmm. when I have couples. And it's like, what have y'all been talking about all this time? <laughs> like, right. how do you know you want to marry this person? You all haven't even discussed some of these basic things or things that we would consider to be your normal conversation, especially at some of the ages that some of these people have been, are at that point. Listen, I can only imagine what, what you, what you hear and I'm the type of person where I can I can take secrets, but then there's also times where I'm like, oh, I just want to tell somebody the secret, even though I know I can't tell the secret. <laughs> I want somebody to know. How do you deal with that? <laughs> I mean, I know you don't do it, but like how to because that's just a human feeling, I think. So supervision. <laughs> so I have supervision. Um, like I said earlier, I have because I have a temp license, I have a supervisor, so I'm under supervision. Mm-hmm. And so when I have these type of clients that I want to discuss, I just talk about them in supervision. We don't give names and things. But okay. That's that's the space to do it. That is the space to do it. And I mean, even when you think that you've had something that's crazy, you'll find out a colleague has something else that was 10 times worse. And then your jaw was on the floor like, what? Like, really? Right. <laughs> so, yes. it's. I mean, it's. but think about it. If you had someone... Things only tend to matter to people when they know the person, right? Mm-hmm. So if this person's a stranger and they're a new client or something, or rather this is the way I see it, they're a new client. I don't know them and I don't know the people they're talking about. So even though I'm bound to confidentiality, I mean, and I'm not going to say anything, it's like if I told somebody, they wouldn't know you anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it you know, it defeats the purpose, though. Plus, I, I like to keep my uh, job and I would like to keep my credentials. Okay. Therefore, I would not be doing anything to jeopardize my board with I the know. board to get me under any type of probation or suspension. Okay. I know that's right. Do you, <laughs> do you normally, um, because like you said, it's easier to talk to somebody that you don't know. Would you ever suggest going to somebody that you do know? Or do you, do you, would you say like, nah, you should probably go to somebody who doesn't have any connection to you? 
So professionally, I would say, or, or let me just use myself for an example. Of course, I have friends. I have, I have my sisters. I have friends that, you know, they tend to lean in on you because they know what you do. And so, you know, unofficially, you have those conversations. But to actually have them as a client, no, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it. Um, I feel like our relationship would never, if there was any shame or any guilt in that person, like in that friend, they may be have hesitance or reluctant reluctancy to actually say certain things out of right. fear. Like, oh, well, she might go say something to so-and-so. So no, that's a, that's a line. That it's, I set up boundaries. Mm-hmm. As a clinician, I have boundaries. And I would never take on one of my friends as my client. I believe it's honestly, I think it's unethical to do it um, from that standpoint. Of course, you know, you could talk to your friends, give them certain tools, things to help them out. But outside of that, no, I wouldn't. And I don't honestly believe it's against it's against some of our boards to even do those things anyway. The dual relationships, even having a client um, and it relates to dating a client and things mm-hmm. like that nature, there are rules like ethic, ethical codes that we have to follow and adhere to as it relates to that. So, no. Okay. I mean, I, I figured that was the answer. I was like, well, maybe somebody may want to know. I could just talk to my friend because I know that they studying. No, nah, you should probably. But you know it's going to happen. Yeah. But it's going to be in an unofficial setting. You right. Know, it's not exactly. going to be informed consent and confidentiality and all of those things. It's just going to be generalized. Kind of like, you know what I think of? Why did I get married? The movie and Janet Jackson and her girlfriends are coming to her because they see her as the therapist and she helps them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm happy that you, you spoke on the movie because how do you feel when when therapists are utilized in shows? Like, are they showing it in an accurate depiction? I don't know if you watch Insecure, but like Molly goes to see a therapist. Um, Girlfriends, mm-hmm. Tony was going to see a therapist. Um, do you feel like they, they are accurately depicting what it's like? And if if it isn't like that, what do you think um, people who are doing films could do more so to make it more accurate so people can actually see, you know, what it would be like? Because a lot of people do get their information from watching movies and television shows. Yeah, so <laughs> one of the first things people always say, so you want me to come and sit sit on your couch? <laughs> no. <laughs> like everybody has this depiction that you're going to come in, lay down on this couch, yes. sit there with a pen and pad, <laughs> and you're just going to tell me everything. You know, that is not the environment that I have. Of course, if the couch is there and you want to lay down, feel free, feel comfortable, <laughs> but that's not the way it is. It's just a conversation. So I think with movies and shows and things of that nature, it's for entertainment. So they're always going to show things on to a certain extremity, but mm-hmm. I do believe they also still try to depict a sense of realism and truth. So since you brought up Tony Childs from girlfriends, yes, how she went in there trying to tell them, you know, everything that was wrong with everybody else. Cause it was always everybody else and not her mm-hmm. and how actually it's funny. Cause I watched the episode, <laughs> I watched this episode a couple of days ago where the boundaries weren't set and she came in there and then we we see at the end of the session that it was actually another person that was in session but she just walked in and she yes. just let it go. <laughs> yes. So I think from that standpoint it creates a sense of of realness to tell people like these are things that still occur. Um these are things that um you still talk about in therapy. Um however they can only show snippets. You know right. a lot of people you go to therapy 
of course, there's brief therapy in some cases, and depending on a person's um, diagnosis and things, you know, brief may be okay versus you may need therapy over months. You may have trauma. You may have different things that you have to get down and pull each layer and layer and layer back to get to what the core or the root of the problem is. So I think that they do some of it. Uh, I use another example, um, Criminal Minds mm. um, or even um, Law and Order SVU. Um, and you see like a lot of times with the, I don't, I don't know his name and I do not want to miss his name. I think it's, is his name David Wong? That's who he plays, I think. Anywho, even with working with children, a lot of that uh, role play um, that they do with the children is called play therapy. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is very real. That's okay. very real. That I, I took a, a course for play therapy and, and that is that is how you have to work with it because you have to understand you have to be able to fit to the needs of your client and, and fit to. If you're dealing with kids, you can't approach kids the same way same way you approach adults. Mm-hmm. So you have to have those different training. Like I'm a person, I'm going to be honest, I don't personally like to work with children by themselves. Um, I worked with at-risk youth for almost a couple of years and I realized that that was not my calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that I can't counsel them with families and just even individually. So yeah, so I think the movies and the social media, some of them do a good job of maybe pulling out one or two things but of course, they're on an extremity and they're not able to show uh, full out. But no, everybody's not on a long couch. Everybody's not sitting there with a clipboard writing information. Um, so, yeah, I know the way our office is set up, I can sit down and it's just like I'm sitting across from my friend and we're just having a conversation. That's the way I like to tell people therapy. Mm-hmm. I tell them in the very beginning, like, you don't have to think of this as therapy if you don't want to. Just think of it as a conversation. We're just talking. I love that because that, that shifts your mind and you you can release, you know, it's relaxing. It's not as weighted as you put on yourself. Like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. I'm in therapy. Um, yeah. I have two more questions. Okay. My, my next question is because I really love, I love fix my life. And I'm like, <laughs> she does shock therapy. And I don't know if that's actually like her title or what she does, but like her practices of how she does things. I know it's like a show format. So she doesn't have as much time as she probably would if she was like in an office somewhere but watching stuff like that um is that normal like a shocking type of way to get people to understand stuff when you say a shocking are you talking because i i don't watch watch her like that i think i've seen maybe an episode or two over the years but i haven't seen any of that recently um so when you say shocking is that when she brings out a factor and it's like oh this is like a shock thing. Like, oh, I'm surprised, shock. So, so when I say shock therapy, um, I'll I'll talk about like a, a episode that she has. She always has things that pushes people out of their comfort zone. Like, it's okay. always some type of uh, extraness kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. it was a family, and basically, they they had issues with perception of things. You know, I saw something, mm-hmm. or I heard something, and you heard something completely completely different. So they were all in a room together. And then she had like five different people all dressed up like in black walk through the room, right? Like just randomly walk <laughs> through the room. And then uh-huh. she kept asking them, what did you see? Well, what did you see? What did you see? And everybody saw something different. But she did it so everyone can see, like, because they couldn't hear each other at first. At first they couldn't yeah. hear what each other was saying. But then that exercise showed them, oh, I get it. Now the same thing happen but what i took from that is something completely different than what you took from that yeah so in that regard 
and and it all goes on on the individual therapist you know there there's no rule book as it relates to how you can implement these different methods of therapy yeah. but i i know for me personally with my experience especially even when i worked with with some young adults and some youth you have to think outside of the box sometimes i mean again i read something that 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 tells you i think it was on instagram one day where it said your therapy your therapist not only works while they're in session with you when they're not in session with you, they're thinking about ways to still help you, thinking about other ways to get across to you to help you understand. So that and thinking outside the box with the shock factor in that regard, I think it was extremely helpful yes. and it helped them to see because you have to know the needs of your client. You have to know what something that may help them to understand um, or change their perspective on something in ways. And sometimes those methods, they work. Of course, do I think it's a little amplified some for entertainment television of course right however was it effective is what the goal ends up being if it was effective then it served its purpose regardless whether it was for entertainment tv or not um so yeah she's a life coach um life and, coach you know, okay i was like what yeah, is she, she okay life coach she's a life coach and life coaches and uh therapists and different things depending on where you are we fall under different boards every state has a board just like a lawyer has a board mm-hmm. and they can only practice law in certain states same way with therapy. So therapists and life coaches don't necessarily have this, have to, are governed by the same rules. They're not governed by the same uh, boards um, of people. Okay. That makes perfectly good sense. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I love her show and I'm like, what? This but is I do, just so I do like that. Yes. Yeah, I, you have to. Yeah. I realized I if I was going to go somewhere and I don't know if I needed to be that extreme, but I do very well with homework that's a shocking type of factor because then I I go off of emotion. So whatever emotion pulled out of me, I could connect with that and like but I guess that's all about how I know how I receive yeah. information and receive things. Yeah. So my last question that I have to ask before so I'm gonna ask you this last question and I'm gonna ask you to give any type of advice or name any resources that you may have that you think people should know about um therapists or seeking the therapist and stuff like that. But um my last question dang, I had it. Hold on. Let me think about what it was. <laughs> this is what happens when you have already answered the stuff that I was going to ask. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, it's great. It's great. It's great because now I'm like, what else should I um ask? Okay. Yeah. okay. So um, my last question is where or what type of advice would you give to somebody who's struggling on if they should seek out of, would would it would it be seeking help seeking help for them to help themselves or how how what's the mind frame that someone should have when they are going into looking outside of themselves so looking outside of themselves for therapy purposes yes okay so i would say some of the things I, i mentioned earlier though too is to number one have an open mind um, have an open mind and know that you're not the only person with your issue. Now, some may say, well, that doesn't make it very individualized if other people are like me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is know that you're not alone. Know that if you're struggling with anything, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, 
body image, self-esteem, any of those things, you're not the only person and you're not alone in it. So that's the first thing. I, I really want them, anyone listening out there, if you're concerned, just know that you're not alone and there are resources and there is help out there. There are people that are there to help you. And this is whether you have insurance or not, okay? There's always mental health lines that you can that can be contacted locally, um, statewide as well. Um, two, don't let it wait so long to where your whole life is becoming dysfunctional. It's better to see, it's like if you get a cut, you don't wait till it completely bleeds out before you start to put a bandage or dab it with peroxide or whatever the case is. You don't let it just continue to bleed out. You immediately respond. You have to think of your mental health the same way. Your mental health and your physical health are both linked to your overall wellness. And your overall wellness is what keeps you, your own body's locomotive, pushing forward on that train track. So you have to, you have to put yourself first. And as I spoke earlier, if you're empty and your tank is empty, you can't fuel anybody up. You have to be yourself. You have to be poured into just as much as you pour out to other people. So keep that in mind. Know that you're not alone. Know that there are people there to help you and to know that there is no shame, no shame and no guilt knowing that you need to see someone or that you have something wrong. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you inferior. It's And it's not a weakness. One thing I like to tell people, I don't have strengths and weaknesses. I have strengths and growth areas. And if you look at things that way, and you look at things from a standpoint of this doesn't make me less than, it's just an area I need to work on, then you work on that. Your body's constantly changing. Your mind is constantly changing. So you work on it. Your brain is a muscle, just like your body. You want to be fit. You have to work it to make it fit. And that goes for emotional wellness. And I would also say sometimes writing things down. I know we didn't talk a lot about coping skills and things, but some people don't like to journal, which is perfectly fine. Some people, you know, they may say, oh, I don't like mindfulness. Some people may say, well, I don't really want to talk to somebody. Find out the one thing that makes you happy. And when you find the one thing that makes you happy, try to do more of it as long as it is safe and healthy for you. So that's what I would say to a person. Like, don't hesitate now because the more you hesitate now, you have the tendency to repress and suppress. Mm -hmm. And then things will get pushed back so far that you'll begin, you'll forget they're even there. And then one day you may just explode and you're like, what the heck just happened? Well, the problem was I kept stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing things down and eventually it wouldn't close and it just bust out. And now everyone's looking at you like, what's wrong with this person? Or what happened with them? They seemed happy yesterday and now you're falling apart. So do the work now. Don't wait. Like I said, if you were bleeding, you wouldn't wait to start trying to fix it. So go ahead and do it now. That was, you're really great with words, Liz. Like, I just love how <laughs> the analogies that you use, the imagery of your words. Like, it just, just makes me feel good. <laughs> I try. You know, I try. Yes. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, so one more question, one more question, one more question, because you brought it up. Um, what are some coping techniques that someone could try out? Say they don't have anybody that they are talking to right now, um, but they know that they should probably try to get these things out of them in some way. What, what are some coping things that 
that you would say maybe somebody could try out? Okay. So, of course, I'm just going to give some generalized ones because depending on the issue, depending on the diagnosis, um, there's a number of there's a number of, of, of techniques or different things. And so this is just generalized. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, if you're able to identify what's triggering you, it can be very helpful. So I do want to say that if you can figure out what's triggering you, it can be very helpful to having your coping skills. But coping skills can be something as simple as exercising. Let's say you're a person who's stressed or you're tense, and maybe the best way for you to release your anguish is to exercise. You can meditate. Some people do yoga. Some people do mindfulness activities. Some people's meditation may just be them sitting by a lake or a river or a body of water. Mm-hmm. Or it could just be sitting outside on your porch if you want to. Whatever, you know, there's no right or wrong way to meditate. Um, it could be writing, uh, journaling, drawing. If you're an artist or a person that loves art, draw. If you're a person that likes poetry or, or spoken word, write. Uh, listening to music, I'm a, listen. For me, one of my best coping skills is listening to music. That truly is like my my spirit for me is music. Mm-hmm. So listening to music can be helpful. Um, sometimes cooking. If you're a person that likes to cook or garden or uh, get enough sleep. They even stress balls. You can do stress balls. Um, something I just thought about, uh, if you're a person that struggles with anxiety, and let's say you're having, and Sasha, this is this is in reference to like what you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're having an anxiety attack or something like that is coming on. You can do a grounding exercise. Uh, one grounding exercise I like to tell people about that's real simple. Think of the five senses. You know, I tell them, look around. What are five things you see? Describe five things you see. Four, look at four um Four things you can touch. Maybe you're in a car, your steering wheel, you might feel something smooth like leather, or maybe you have on a sweatshirt and you're just like, oh, this feels soft like cotton. Think of four things you can touch. Um, think of three sounds you hear. What do you hear? You know, think of, and it could even be three sounds you, um, um, I was like three sounds you hear, two things you can smell. Maybe you're at home and you smell dirty clothes, or maybe you're outside and you smell smoke, or you smell exhaust, or whatever it is. And then think of taste. What's something you taste in your mouth? Is your mouth dry? Are you chewing gum? Did you just have some candy? Did you just eat? Think about your five senses. And you can use the numbers interchangeably. It's just usually easier to find five things you can uh, see (laughs) quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to just have one thing you can taste and the rest are kind of just interchangeable, you know, with the senses. But that's usually one one thing I like to tell people about grounding. Um, Just think of your senses. Go through your body. Sometimes even sitting there with finding, well, what do you feel in your body? What are sensations are you feeling in your body? You feel your heart beating really fast, you know? And all of it is doing is redirecting your attention from whatever it is that is triggering you to be anxious and redirecting it into something else. So it's like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting away from what's causing this. And I'm more so talking about what I'm feeling in my body or what I'm noticing. So it's, it's like a mind shift. Um, so that's one thing I like to tell people is just a quick grounding exercise, um, for people who may have anxiety um, and things of that nature. Um, what else would I would say? Um, oh, something I like to, to do, or I like to tell people who, and this can work across the board, whether you have trauma, uh, whether it's anxiety, depression, um, it's called externalizing the problem. It's kind of like narrative therapy, narrative mm-hmm. exposure therapy. Um, and when you externalize a problem, you're basically separating it from yourself. So let's say that I'm feeling um, 
I'm feeling depressed, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm feeling depressed. I might write a letter to depression. Like, dear depression, mm -hmm. you've caused this, this, and this. You make me feel this. I hate you, depression. I don't like the fact that this happened because of you. Because of you, I missed out on this. Because of you, I didn't do that. It's separating it to something external externally. So it's not a so it, it basically says I am not depression. Depression is something I carry. I like that. So you think about anxiety, you think about mm -hmm. anger, you think about any of those things. It's like a lot of people tend to take those negative cognitions and they tend to say, Oh, I am these things. Because once you once something gets in your mind and your mental headspace is not where it needs to be, those things they start to manifest within you. So, oh, I'm, I'm just depressed or, or I'm just anxious all the time. Or, I'm just angry person. I'm sad all the time. I'm these things. We, we feel like those things are who we are. But I like to tell people that's not who you are. Those are just things you carry. Mm. And sometimes you pick them up and sometimes you put them down. But they are not who you are. They're just the things you carry. So I try to tell people to externalize things in that nature because it can be very beneficial. And even sometimes getting your feelings out because if you feel like you're depression, it's hard to talk crazy to yourself, you know, yeah. versus if I'm writing this letter and saying, you made me feel all these things. It's like, now I'm telling you, like, you're this, you're not me, you're something else. So I can write to you and tell you those things. So yeah, that's. Those are great. Those are really, really great. Um, when you talked about the grounding um, exercise, it made me think I had an acting class and we used to have to do that to center ourselves to mm -hmm. to get out of our heads like no come come back down feel yeah. the ground what does your feet feel like when it's touching the ground mm -hmm. and then open your eyes what do you see connect with that and that yeah. that was very calming like I had never done anything like that before and I was just like wow when you're in your head you're in your head so when you take mm -hmm. steps to try to get out of that it's just like a kind of like a breakthrough almost. Yeah. And I mean, people can also do, I mean, I love affirmations. I tell mm -hmm. people all the time, write affirmations on sticky notes, stick them on your window, stick them on your mirror. If you have a body mirror, write it down. Just anything because, and I always say the mirror, because the first thing you get up in the morning, I hope the first thing people are doing is brushing <laughs> their teeth and washing their face. You know, if you're not getting in the shower right away, but you still got to brush your teeth. So you're going to see a mirror. And sometimes your whole trajectory of your day can change just off seeing those positive affirmations for yourself about yourself first thing in the morning. And um, so that's that. And I, I don't think I can emphasize enough the importance of surrounding yourself with a positive support networks. Like you have to surround yourself with people who are supportive of you. If you are seeking therapy and you're surrounded by someone who always has a negative attitude towards it or someone who is always discouraging you or trying to deter you away from it, that's not a positive and supportive network. That can cause more harm than it can good. So make sure you're doing it, even getting sleep. Um, and, and this is the last thing, Sasha, I'll say, say with this as well, is that sometimes depression, anxiety, and things, they don't look like you think they look, you know, they don't, they don't always look like some clear cut book definition. You could have anxiety and not even realize that that's the reason you're having trouble concentrating, or maybe that's the reason you're not sleeping. Or maybe that's the reason you're having intrusive thoughts or feelings of guilt and shame or, you know, maybe you're not eating as much or you're avoiding things like anxiety may look like 
things that most people see is just basic things. Oh, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm just tired. Well, why are you so tired? Oh, because you're doing what you're trying to overcompensate or you're overdoing things or you're keeping yourself busy to keep from focusing in on what really is the problem. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I'll give an affirmation for that. Um, is that feelings are just visitors and I let them go. Ooh, I love that. Feelings so are just visitors that, and I let them go. Yeah. Feelings are just visitors and I let them go. Because visitors go, what? They don't live there, so they always go home, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was just something I want to make sure I, I, I added out there um, as it related to that. Liz, this has just been a pleasure. I learned so much. You were so insightful. You really, I, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I know that you exceeded whatever I thought that was going to be talked about, honey. Okay. okay. Well, I'm glad I could help. I mean, yes. you know, I'm passionate about something. And like I said, with the stigmas and cultural barriers as it relates to us, um, I just, I just like, I try to normalize therapy as much as I can for people and individuals because I want to see us win. You know, yes. I, I do. Yes, I I will. I have no problem with any race, gender, ethnicity, gender identity, any of those things. But I still want our people to win. And so whenever I have the opportunity to share in those spaces, um, I try to do that as much as I can. I love it. And I appreciate you. And I thank you so much. Before you go, um, any type of resources that um, you think the people out there can look into, read a book, maybe um, something that's going on at TSU. I know you were talking about your Friday conversations with counseling. If there's any students that may be listening. Yes. Yeah, so um, usually every second and fourth uh, Friday, um, the TSU uh, Instagram page is TSU underscore counseling services. Some things or most things they're they're catered to students, but students are adults. So in essence, they can transcend over to those who are not students or who were students or whatever. Um, and so, yes, we do that. We pick a topic. Um, there are several videos on our page from ADHD to trauma to stress to suicide. I mean, you know, we just left from suicide prevention month. Um, a lot of awareness with just so many things. Um, you could look on there. I encourage people to, to not just Google things. Now, if you're going to look up mental health things, actually look up some solidified sites. Um, I met with a psychiatrist for one of our Friday conversations this past week, and he talked about even um, the Mayo Clinic is actually a good source. I'm looking at the Mental Health uh, Mental Health Coalition um, is one. Uh, NAMI is another one, NAMI.org. Um, trying to think of another one even if you google suicide mobile crisis if you ever have a friend that's in need um that's why i say it's so important to pay attention to your friends because they may be suicidal or have some form of suicidal ideation and they're not aware help them to know the signs of that if you notice them withdrawing if you know like suicide is a major thing and it is becoming more and more prevalent in our communities and mm -hmm. at a lot younger ages so look up those things google them look at local um even if you don't have insurance, there are always local health centers um, that are around that can help give you resources you need to ensure that you're getting your mental health, um, you're getting your needs met through mental health. Because remember, it's all about you. It's about you. You're, everything is client-centered about you. So everybody is only there to help you. So I just encourage you, look at those, you know, look at those sites. Don't just look at Google and you just find anything that comes about. Look at legitimate sites like the ones I listed um, and these mental health coalitions and just, yeah, just 
do what you can do, connect in a way you can. And again, I mean, Thought Traces LLC is on Instagram. Uh, I'm excited about it. It is not fully up. It's there. So if you want to follow us, so when I do start, feel free to be yes. up there. But Thought Traces, thoughts as in T-H-O-U-G-H-T-T-R-A-C-E-S-L-L-C. Yes. And I'll I'm make sure to include that. that. I'm excited too. I hope you do videos yes. too, because just listening to you talk, it just, like you said, the way you normalize it and the conversation of it, it seems so natural and just so normal. And that's how it yeah. should be. Yeah, we have to create normalcy around these things because they're affecting our communities. They're affecting us and our functionality and the way we are continuing on our day-to-day basis. And I said Thought Traces LLC is Thought Traces underscore LLC. Okay. Let mm-hmm. me put that out there. Yes, Thought Traces underscore LLC. But don't worry, I it is going to be up and up and up and ready soon. And I am excited. Ah, I'm very excited. But yes, that'll be my private practice. Um, and if anybody is in the Nashville area, um, if you follow that page, um, my shared office is in the Green Hills area, South Hillsboro. Um, so I cannot wait to see you all. And I love couples again, but I'm also willing to talk to anybody. I don't discriminate. I talk to you no matter your age, gender identity, or ethnicity. I like to help everyone because at the end of the day, we're all human. So. Yes. Thank you so, so much. This has been a great conversation and I could not have asked for a better guest. (laughs) Well, thank you, Sasha. (laughs) You know, I love you. I appreciate what you're doing and just keep giving us all of that, all of that fierceness that it is that you bring to us. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But no, thank you so much. I love you as well. And I'm going to make sure I have all your information in there. Um, do you want anybody to follow you on any social media platforms, personal page, or do you just want to keep it professional? I just want to keep it professional. Understandable. My thought traces, underscore LLC. LLC. That's going to be up yes. in the thing then. I got you, boo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, thank then. You. Well, thank you so much, and I love you, and I can't wait to see you, girl. Yes, see you love again, Rabbit. See you soon. Yes. Thank everybody. You guys, I'm so, so happy about this episode and I hope that you all have gotten information that you may have been wondering about um, or even things that you didn't know that got answered for you, Liz. It's superb. It's superb. And I'm just so thankful to have had her on and it really has made me want to spark this. So I'm going to have another, maybe a couple of episodes about mental health and talk to different type of um, specialists within that community to talk to us. This is great. I hope you all enjoyed it. And thanks again for listening to 30-ish, a podcast for adults figuring their ish out. See you later. each and every Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM. You can follow 30-ish 
at 30IRTY underscore ISH on Instagram and Twitter. 30ish, a podcast for adults figuring their ish out.